Podcasts. You are with us here on a Wednesday. It is January 31st. Ryan, it's the last day of January. Oh my, where, where has the month gone already? We are on episode 236 of this bad boy. That is Ryan Chapman. He's over in Moore. I'm John Hoover. I'm in Tulsa. Randall Sweet is going to join us for segment three. We're going to talk some recruiting, obviously, for that segment. Ryan, winter has come and gone. We still got second winter, fake winter, third winter. Uh, but yeah, man, we're uh, we're excited about uh, January. It's over. We're on to fe- we're on to February, as Bill Belichick would say. I know that was uh, Eddie and I were talking about that on radio this morning. That we were like, we're enjoying. It's it's been a couple of Chamber of Commerce afternoons around here. I don't know what it, I, I assume it's similar up there in Tulsa. That area in the 918. And uh, then I was like, ah, but February is always somehow worse. And so, uh, yeah, I, I looked up at, on like January 20th, like Eddie had said January 20th. And I was like, there's no way it's the 20th already. The, the, where did the month go? Goes fast when you're uh, hunkered down trying to stay warm <laughs> <laughs> and your pipes are frozen and you're like, please don't break. Uh, update, my pipes did not break. So uh, we uh, escaped the winter of 2024 uh, without uh, any major damage. Um, <laughs> we got basketball to talk about. We got football to talk about. We got recruiting to talk about. But we're going to start with just a quick pitch for this new series that we started last week, because it's been fun. It's, it's fun to talk to other people, other media people about guys who leave one school and transfer to another school. Um, I've been, I took the, uh, the play-by-play radio route. I talked to four play-by-play radio guys who, you know, they're around the team constantly. They're around the team on road trips and stuff. And they, of course, immerse themselves in these guys' lives. And so uh, this, this series that we started last week just, a simple get to know what Oklahoma is getting out of the transfer portal. I really enjoyed doing uh, the stories that I've done so far. We've got stories out there on uh, Dion Burks, Fabechi Wiwu. I got that pronunciation correct. Wiwu. Uh, Jake Roberts, Tyler Keltner, the kicker, uh, Bauer Sharp, the tight end, and Spencer Brown, Randall. I'm sorry, Ryan did that one uh, for this morning. That's just so far. We're almost halfway through this thing. So, uh, yeah, I talked to uh, Sam Franklin's uh, radio play-by-play guy yesterday, the running back, and uh, found out some cool stuff about him. Found out some really cool stuff about the, uh, the way he plays and why he averages um, nine yards of carry as a freshman, eight yards of carry as a sophomore, and six yards of carry as a, as a junior. So just, you know, check that out, allsooners.com. You uh, you had some fun doing yours as well? Yeah, yeah. I uh... – <laughs> Shout out to Miami of Ohio. You, you guys are tough to track down, but uh, we found a source in Canton to uh, to break down some Caden Wooler. That should be coming on Thursday, I believe, if we have our schedules correct. And so that's been good. But yeah, getting to talk about, link up a lot about, you know, um, checking up on Jake Roberts. I know a lot of people around here are familiar with him, um, obviously, as a local kid that then went to North Texas and then to Baylor. It was kind of cool to kind of fill in some of the gaps from what I knew of him, obviously, as we went to the same high school, not the same time, but same high school, what I knew of him from around the Norman North days, and then got to fill in what about him as, as he kind of grew and developed in Denton, working under Seth Luttrell. Sounds like Oklahoma fans should be pretty excited. It's about the, the knowledge base that Oklahoma's going to have. Tight end should be a, a lot better as far as just variety, bodies, usable guys. Jake Roberts can be a big part of that. Talked about uh, Sam Brown. Had some good conversations about Michael Tarquin as well, who will be a later on in the series. And then, uh, yeah, I, I enjoyed getting to 
getting to catch up. You'll have to check that one out tomorrow on Thursday about Caden Woolard, about uh, a guy who who popped early as a uh, a sophomore in 2022, had some big moments against Power 5 teams specifically, Kentucky, Cincinnati, and then a big punt block against Northwestern. And then this past season, he turned it on, and it was less about flashing and more about consistently being one of those guys that, that got you uh, a bunch of tackles for loss, a bunch of sacks. So got, got to know a good deal about uh, Oklahoma's new incoming kind of veteran defensive end that'll kind of fill a spot that Rondell Bothroyd had. So excited to kind of break that down as that one will roll out on Thursday as you listen to this. One of the ones that uh, I wanted to bring up was uh, the kicker, Tyler Keltner. Uh, kicked for four years, was a long-distance kicker, very accurate at uh, on the FCS level, right, down there in the SOCON. Uh, East Tennessee State. So um, when you, I've said this before, I think on the podcast, when you kick a football, it doesn't matter whether you're division one, division two, FCS, FBS, power five, doesn't matter. Does the football go through the uprights? And with Tyler Keltner, the football goes through the uprights. Uh, so that was something that uh, it was interesting to, to, you know, talk to somebody about his kicks. Uh, but another one was uh, Wee Woo, for, uh, for Wee Woo, the offensive lineman from North Texas, the, a quote that I found was from his offensive coordinator uh, at some point last year, I think. He said, when he gets his hands on somebody, they're going backwards. He's a big, powerful, powerful road grader type offensive guard. So that's something I think uh, OU fans can look forward to. Speaking of the transfer portal, not a huge ton of football news this week to break down and dive into, but there's there's one big story, and of course we'll have some recruiting headlines for you in the final segment. But the the one big story was uh, the offensive lineman, Garen Hatchett, Washington. What Oklahoma landed a transfer portal guy from Washington? This was uh, this was not unexpected. This was uh, highly expected. But the simple fact that three weeks have gone by now, going on three weeks, and uh, since Nick Saban retired which opens the transfer portal for Alabama guys. Uh, Kalen DeBoer takes that job at Alabama, which opens the window for Washington guys. Um, Jed Fish takes that job at Washington, which opens the door for Arizona guys. You got three programs out there that are successful, that are winning at a very high level, and Oklahoma's not getting any of these guys? Well, they finally got one. So Garen Hatchett, uh, offensive lineman. He's been at Washington for four years. He's played a little bit. He hasn't played just a ton, but he's been there four years. Uh, six four three zero three. He's a guy that um, he's a guy that's going to help Ryan. He's a guy that's going to step in, I would think, and be one of those guys that has an opportunity right away. Probably it, as a guard, um, right guard, left guard doesn't matter wherever they need him. But Bill Bill Beedman is going to try and find him a spot in the starting lineup, I would think. Yeah, and it feels like, too, that that gives Oklahoma a lot of options for battles because if you just look at it right now, if we were doing like a pre-spring projection, I would assume that that's probably Sexton and moving back over to left tackle like we saw for bowl prep. And then Oklahoma, their first move in the portal was to go and get Spencer Brown from Michigan State, who we wrote about today on com, And he played just a ton, a ton, a ton of right tackle, very experienced, 24 career starts. So it makes sense, right, if you're just going off the experience with that. But then the the interior of the line is kind of all over the place as far as you've got young guys that we've heard a lot of good stuff about from behind the scenes, like a Heath Ozeda, but didn't actually get to see that. 
And then between that, you've got, you know, Tarquin, who's played along the interior from at Florida and USC. You've got, um, you've got, uh, we will, you said, is that the pronunciation uh, from North Texas? He's a guy that I think like he's going to have a spot. It just depends on where that is. And so then it gives you an option of, do you want to battle at left guard, right guard, more center options, whether it's Troy Everett or Josh Bates. And so I think that Bill Beanbow is really going to be able to push those guys every single day in spring. Cause now you've got um, two guys in transfers and we and Tarquin that have legit, legit, a ton of starting experience. You've got him coming in from Washington. That's got plenty of experience of being around winning team. Then you've got those young guys coming along. It lets Beanbow and Jerry Schmidt be like, Hey, who's going to work in the weight room? Who is serious about though making those gains? And who's serious about coming in and crushing skulls every single day at practice, which I think is really important considering we didn't know how much competition there would be able to be with all the bodies that were lost, just not knowing what what's the depth actually going to look like for Oklahoma. Yeah, now the two years that, um, that he's played, Garen Hatchett has played uh, snaps at Washington. It wasn't much. Um, 2022, he got 71 snaps, so all backup type stuff. 2023, played 264 snaps, um, which sounds like a lot, but then you break it down and you're like 54 snaps against Cal, 60 against Arizona, 64 against Washington, and he didn't play more than 33 snaps in a game the rest of the season. So he's got uh, some room to grow, I would guess. But uh, Bill Biedenboe, has, uh, you made a point of this in, in one of your stories, Ryan. Bill Biedenboe takes guys that don't might not have a, a great grade, uh, pro football focus grade, which Garen uh, Hatchett doesn't have a great pro football focus grade. But Bill Biedenboe takes those guys like he did with Walter Rouse and turns them around, gets them, gets them working on their fundamentals, their footwork, their hand placement, uh, their technique and all that stuff, and turns them into somebody who's now having a hell of a week at the Shrine Bowl which is what, uh, where Walter Rouse is. I don't think Walter Rouse has that opportunity at the Shrine Bowl if he doesn't come to Oklahoma for a year. Yeah, and it's something that, you know, Walter talked a ton about, you know, the, the injury and stuff and how that led to some bad mechanics. But you and I both have been lucky enough through our, our radio experiences to work a great deal with Sam Mays. And, and Sam will tell you, right, the, the Oklahoma State offensive line he played on, I think it was as a junior, then the line he played on as a senior. I think that's the example he always used. Forgive me, Sam, if I mixed up sophomore, junior, junior, senior. Say Oklahoma or Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State. Yeah, the Oklahoma State. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, those Cowboys offensive lines, he said basically either from his junior to senior year, year over year, they had a really good unit one year, and then they lost simply one dude. So it's four of the same guys, one different piece to the line. And he basically said that they were a disaster for, for half of that next year by their standards specifically. That's how delicate an offensive line can be and so while whether you get hit with the grade or not and sometimes you know pff's not perfect all, all that stuff anyway there's sometimes that the grades come out after games and you and i look at each other and we're like where was danny stuff's been yeah. graded because that dude was a ball you know what i mean it's not perfect but it's just it's a resource we have <laughs> excuse me um bill gets to work in and that's part of him trying to find the best five guys right that's why he tinkers and moves guys around because He's just looking for a group that has some chemistry that can mash, and he's been really good at that. And so I'm just curious what it's going to look like with Walter Rouse was coming into an offensive line that had a lot of returning pieces. Now you're basically wiping that slate clean because you've got Sexton, who started the end of the year. you got Everett, who's played a ton but played a ton at guard. Now he's battling at center. It's just going to be interesting to see what Beanbow has, which is why I think he wants as many options as possible because you're not trying to find – 
hey, I've got three guys to plug into one spot to work with these other four returning guys. It's you need four new starters and then Sexton, who didn't start the whole year, but but took over for Tyler Guyton, who by all accounts is ripping it apart at the Senior Bowl as well. Another guy that's yeah. tearing it up uh, that has done nothing but help bolster his first round draft projection. Yeah, he's looking more and more like a first rounder. Um, let me ask you this. This is a hard question to answer, but it's also a hard question to ask. So I hope I get this right. Um, the portal has been open for those for guys from those three schools, and, and they've lost a lot. They have, they have been a bunch of dudes, and I mean dudes, who jumped in the portal uh, and quickly found a home. And none of them before Hatchet were Oklahoma. So do you, is, is this some kind of problem, Ryan? When, when you see uh, Alabama, Washington, and Arizona coaching changes, guys bailing out, jumping in the portal, everybody's getting rich off of these dudes and their transfers, and Oklahoma got one guy who's a limited experience offensive lineman. Um, the question is this. Is this like an NIL thing where OU's NIL collective and, and uh, strategy is getting a bad rap with the guys that are you know transferring, guys that are jumping in the portal, guys that are looking for an opportunity? Um, what do you think's going on here? Uh, can it be a little column A, a little column B? Because yeah. he, here's the biggest knock on Bill Bedenboe. He's not an elite recruiter. He, he, he just is not. When you look at what he's done, he's a great identifier as far as you, you think about that Joe Moore award-winning offensive line that he had. That wasn't just a bunch of five-star recruits that he refined. That was a lot of diamonds in the rough, great evaluations, a lot of great development. And his track record, you cannot deny his track record, which is why I think it would be crazy talk to say, oh, you need to move on from Bill Beanbow, anything like that, because right. he's about to have back-to-back first-round draft picks, and that for a long time was the only thing that eluded him. Like the, the Oklahoma, what those guys have made in the league, graphics as far as money, uh, the production, the NFL snaps is ludicrous. To have all of that, you're at Oklahoma, right? You're not recruiting to Georgia Tech or something like that. I'll take the shot at my own my own heart. Uh, anything like that. And to not land elite guys over and over before NIL, this was an issue. After NIL, it's an issue. So I, I think that it's clear he's just not a elite of the elite top-end recruiter, which is why I also think it should be a little concerning as you head to the SEC that NIL should have been a situation where maybe that's where you marry. Bill Beanbow has incredible track record, and maybe whatever buttons he pushes in the recruitment process don't hit because the guys that work under him love him. It's not that a personality issue. It's just whatever buttons he's hitting in the recruiting process aren't obviously working for the top end guys. If Oklahoma was good, really good at pairing their NIL with Bill Beanbow, a little extra bolst, that should have maybe pushed them over the edge. That is clearly not happening. So, I don't know if it's that that you know from that comes from the top of Brent Venables is like we're not going to lead with the NIL. They're obviously competitive. You don't sign the kinds of classes they've signed without being competitive. But they're not top in. They're not Ole Miss. They're not Tennessee. They're not oh guess what? Those are all SEC teams. They're not Missouri. You know what I mean? The people they're about to recruit against. It's a real question. Can you outdevelop the recruiting gap that you have along the offensive line? Beanbow's going to do that every year or Oklahoma's going to have some issues. Yeah, I don't I don't disagree with that at all. Um, it's it's an interesting uh, problem because the game is changing, the, the rules are changing, the laws are changing, uh, the NCAA is changing. We just saw 
the NCAA come down on Tennessee and Tennessee's defense. I love this. This is the new uh, defense against it. Used to be the defense against the NCAA used to be, uh, yes, uh, NCAA, we're very sorry. We tripped over this and we'll, uh, we'll punish ourselves. We'll flog ourselves and uh, hopefully you won't have to do too much more. Now the defense against the NCAA is, Hey, screw you guys. You haven't done anything right in five years. Uh, you're, you're a disaster. The NCAA needs to be changed and gutted and take torn down and rebuilt. And the, what's the NCAA going to do about that? They're, they're going to go, yeah, that's probably right. So that's the that's the thing. You're getting it. Uh, Tennessee got spanked for violations. Again, they just got off. They just finished um, a, a, a sanction. Okay, you've, you've gone through it. You came out good the other side. And then it happened again to Tennessee. And Tennessee's response is the NCAA is broken. The NCAA is failing. Uh that's the new defense. So I get the, and I always respected Joe Stiglione and his athletic department for, you know, doing things above board and following the rules and all this, but you're going into the sec. Um, some things might have to change to stay ultra competitive. And I don't mean you have to cheat. I mean, you have to find out what the rules are and then like a, like a, like a, uh, <laughs> like a dinosaur on, uh, on, Jurassic Park, right? One of those, uh, what the hell are they called? You want a velociraptor? Do you velociraptor, want a velociraptor? You. testing the perimeter, testing the perimeter of the fence. Yeah, just a velociraptor. Test the perimeter, find out where the fence is and poke that thing and see what you see what you can get away with. See what's, uh, see what's happening from the NCAA perspective. I don't know. That's probably a very weak analogy, but I'm just saying. Uh, Oklahoma needs to, uh, if they're going into the SEC, Oklahoma needs to maybe test some of those rules. Yeah, well, and it's one of those things, too. Uh, Kansas is pioneers. Kansas basketball, their big defense to the NCAA was also oh, like, yeah. uh, that booster doesn't work for us. How can we be punished for the booster? We're not denying that the money was paid. We just didn't know yeah. about it. We didn't direct it. And now Tennessee is also, first off, one wing of it is like, you guys are idiots. But also they're like, that company doesn't work for us. They were right. going to give him a private jet no matter where he signed. He just happened to really like checkerboards and Smokey the Dog, which – I do too. Smokey's the best dog in the SEC. Don't at me uh, or do. I don't really care. Um, but yeah, it, it's it, it's all about striking the balance. And look, it's not my money, so I, it's easy for me to say, yeah, you should have dropped the bag for Lance Hurd, right? Like, why why would you not want to go get a guy that was one of the top of their position just a couple recruiting classes ago? For but it's all about. Brett Venable said, right, his job is to bring in as many talented guys as possible. It's the player's job to keep those jobs. Well, part of that is giving yourself the biggest margin of error possible, which is if you have the most talented physical guys along the offensive line, then maybe you can overcome a fluky interception because you can run the ball like a like a total just road grade and stuff like that. And we know that Bill Bean, but like whatever talent he gets, he coaches them up really well. So why wouldn't you want to pair him with the most athletic guys you can find as opposed to the diamonds in the rough? It doesn't always have to be a reclamation project. It doesn't have to be 15 five-star offensive linemen every time. It just needs to – you still need those couple of elite guys. And so the 2025 class is going to be huge. There's a lot of those elite guys, and Randall can speak to this way better than, than you know any of us can. There's a lot of those elite guys in Texas. So Bill Beanbow needs to show that he's got the chops in that 2025 class to go out there, win some of those recruiting battles – Yep. Whether it's bolstered by just love of Bill Biedenboe, his his factory to the NFL, NIL, it doesn't really matter, and I don't think the fans care. Just get the guys on campus and yeah. keep them. 
and keep them. Yep. No, that's right. That's well said. Um, Velociraptor. Velociraptor. Try to remember that next time. Uh, can you imagine how much uh, NCAA probation OU would have if they had hired me in 1998 instead of Castiglione? <laughs> uh, well, it, it, would, it would be excellent. Uh, nothing against anybody. Uh, but you, there, is a lo- there is a model of going to your legendary head football coach and making them the athletic director or the interim athletic director just ask Tennessee what yeah. would OU's NIL program look like with Barry Switzer in charge of the athletic department? <laughs> just just let that simmer for a minute. <laughs> Can you imagine the press conferences? <laughs> They'd be great. They'd be with good stuff. Athletic director Barry Switzer. God, that'd be amazing. Especially after Texas win. I, would it be a Jerry Jones? Would would did did Barry like doing media enough that he would just willingly come down and do pressers after every game a la Jerry Jones in Dallas? Oh yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, he wouldn't he wouldn't avoid those press conferences. <laughs> uh, let's go back in time, turn the wheel back in time and see if we can get that done. No, no offense to anybody. Joe C is the best athletic director in the country, but that would be a, an amazing sleigh ride to have Barry Switzer as your content uh, machine for us. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Crazy. Yeah. I had never thought about that, but that is something that, uh, wow. I wonder how long that would have lasted. <laughs> well, anyway, we move on. The NCAA would have set up an office in Norm, not for anything Barry would have done. They just would have been like, wait, who's the athletic director? We might want to get somebody down there to keep an eye on them. Yes. Yeah. He, they'd have him on speed dial. basically. <laughs> Whatever that used to be, right? Anybody yeah. remember speed dial? It used to be a thing. All right, we're going to move on. Uh, coming up next on the All Sooners podcast, we got Sooners in the Super Bowl to talk about. Holy cow. Sooners in the Pro Bowl, sort of. Uh, we'll take a look at OU's uh, massive Junior Day recruiting weekend last week, plus big night last night for Porter Moser and the basketball team, big night tonight for Jenny Baranchik and the women's basketball team. They just keep on winning. they got a big one tonight, though. Uh, Ryan's going to have a little softball for you. All that's next on the All Sooners podcast. Hey, are you a business owner looking to get your product out there to the masses? Let's say you run a hotel in Norman or a car dealership in Oklahoma City or a restaurant in Edmond. Or maybe you're a small online business who creates and sells OU merchandise and you just want Sooner Nation to come sample your wares. Well, then consider advertising in this space right here on the SI Sooners podcast. SI Sooners reaches thousands of readers, viewers, and listeners literally every day. And the SI Sooners podcast is the ideal place to find your next customer. To advertise, send an email to allsoonerssi at gmail.com or DM us on Twitter at all underscore Sooners. Well, I screwed up last night. Uh, I updated my Twitter app finally because I kept getting that little error message at the bottom. This app is out of date. We have to restart it. So I updated my Twitter app, and it's abysmally bad. I hate Twitter now. <laughs> Why do you got to mess up Elon, such a good product? And he did, man. It is, it is, it's kind of gross, Twitter is now. But anyway, if you're on Twitter like me, which is, Ryan, I got a secret. I tried to get verified last night, so I paid yeah. the whatever dollars because it's work now. It's like, I guess I'm not entitled to anything, so I'm getting my blue check mark back hopefully at some point. We'll see. Does that mean the taco's going to stay? Yes, the taco's going to stay. It's going to be John Hoover taco blue check mark. Good, 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 good. <laughs> tacos are still the life. Uh, if anyway, if you're on Twitter, 
Find us at all underscore Sooners. That's where all of our content is posted. Uh, if you want to get on John E. Hoover on Twitter, that's where all of our content is posted as well, plus a lot more other clever stuff like Velociraptors and Barry Switzer as the ID. Uh, Ryan, you can find him at uh, underscore Ryan Chapman. Follow Ross at Ross Lovelace. And uh, Randall is at Randall Sweet 5 for all your latest recruiting news. Our website is allsooners.com. Of course, it's a Fan Nation affiliate, part of the Sports Illustrated Network. Remember, All Sooners is free. No signups, no emails, no passwords, no credit cards. All free at All Sooners. Ryan, segment two, we're going to jump right into the deep end. Super Bowl is set. And for the second year in a row, how about this? Thank you, Kansas City Chiefs, right? Uh, the Oklahoma Sooners have more players in the Super Bowl than any other college football team for the second year in a row. Amazing. It's big time. It's big time. You got Blake Bell. He's He's got a nice little trophy case, uh, as well as James Winchester. Creed Humphrey, who was having some fun at Allen Fieldhouse last night. Don't know if you saw that. He was getting into that little action there. You've got Wanye is is on the uh, – was he still inactive or, or did he make it to the 53-man roster? Anyway, in the AFC Championship game, that's your Kansas City contingent. Then you got what, Braden Willis and uh, Trent Williams. Have I missed anybody that's on the San Francisco side of life? Nope. That's uh, that's six. That's to- six total, and uh, it's pretty impressive. Um, if you go back to last year, Oklahoma had the most players with uh, two on the e- – four from the Chiefs and then two on the Eagles. Um the, by the way, the one of the four on the Chiefs was Orlando Brown rather than Wanya Morris. But uh, the Eagles had four as well. Actually, the Eagles had two and then four, two formers, which were uh, Trey Sermon and Grant Calcaterra. Tells you, I think, and this is way oversimplifying it, but tells you, to me, two things. Oklahoma recruits really good football players. Duh, obviously. Oklahoma recruits guys who have kind of a winning makeup, winning DNA, whatever that is. Uh, guys who like to, who import, winning is important to them. And they need defensive talent as we've named all of this stuff. Yeah. It's, it, it, it's funny. It goes right into all the stuff that we talked about. You got a bunch of offensive linemen check. You had quarterback last year in Jalen hurts. Now you got some, uh, tight end love, I guess, technically a former OU quarterback in Blake Bell, but some tight end love and Blake Bell and brain Willis and all offense. So, Something that Brent Venables hopes that he'll change, but that uh, that Bill Beanbow offensive line factory not changing. You don't think the quarterback factory is going to change with what Jackson Arnold does, and and it's insane too. I, have you seen what stat is continuing this year? I don't think so. So if and we're going to get a little semantic-y because Alabama's going to try and claim Jalen Hurts, which I think that they yep. have a great claim to Jalen Hurts, but. Jalen Hurts' last stop in college football is at Oklahoma. Outside of the Jalen Hurts conundrum, you don't have an Alabama uh, college football player that has scored a point in the Super Bowl ever, ever. Is that right? Yeah, and so it's uh, it just shows you that like uh, we know what Alabama is, but uh, and they've got a ton of defensive, possibly ton of wide receivers stuff like that. But to get to the Super Bowl, it's it's just a weird. Sometimes a yeah. crapshoot, which is why I think Oklahoma fans should really cherish two years in a row having a nice selection of guys from both teams that you're going to go home with uh, some of your former players as Super Bowl champions. Yeah, and if you want to continue the uh, where where are the defensive players, does Oklahoma even play defense anymore? Uh, just look at the Pro Bowl. 
the Pro Bowl rosters have been set. The uh, guys who made the Super Bowl were replaced, right? The guys who made the Pro Bowl, named the Pro Bowl and made the Super Bowl, they don't get to play in the Pro Bowl games or competitions or whatever. They don't get to go because they're busy doing Super Bowl stuff. So uh, two additions were made yesterday or day before yesterday. I think it was yesterday. I can't remember. Day before. Uh, two additions were made. Yeah, it was Tuesday. That's right. It was Tuesday. Um, and there was two quarterbacks, Jalen Hurts and Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield made the Pro Bowl. Take that, haters, right? So uh, of all the guys, that's seven now total OU football players in the Pro Bowl. Like you said, Ryan, every one of them on offense. Yeah, and uh, Baker's got a good shout to win the uh, AP Comeback Player of the Year. It'll be interesting, though, um, if, if you actually wanted to, like... It's got to be Flacco, doesn't it? I mean, Baker was better than Flacco for like all year. It like I like for me, I for me, it would be between Flacco and Baker, and I think that you can make a great argument for both, and I wouldn't be mad about either one. And Tamar Hamlin's probably gonna walk away with it, which is a great human story, but as far as like impact on the field, you know how yeah. that goes. The narrative yeah. and Demar Hamlin's an incredible story, and I'm happy he's still with us. But as far as those guys that were finalists for Comeback Player of the Year, Baker and Flacco probably the, the most productive guys as far as what they did for their teams uh, and, and getting those guys to the playoff and, and kind of two very different routes. When's the last time Flacco played in the NFL? Right? Wasn't he on the like the dustbin in the dustbin of history for a little while and he comes yeah. back and leads, leads the Browns to the playoffs? That's pretty amazing. So um, I would think in terms of the defense lead him. That, I, that, would, be, that would be the like – the yeah. counterpoint is that he, he came in and just like was normal, <laughs> like like the, right. the be normal thing. Whereas Baker in December, like you turned turned on the Jets. Yeah, Baker was Baker was a better had a better year, was a better player this year. Um, I thought he came from where where you start from, like the the start line versus the finish line. I thought Flacco came from further back, not even being yeah for sure he for sure did. So, but you're right, Hamlin's probably going to win it just as a. Uh, triumph of spirit story type thing, uh, which is cool. Good for him. Anyway, seven Sooners in the Pro Bowl games. You gonna watch any of that? No, <laughs> I'll. I'll uh, <laughs> I will catch the highlights. the The few moments that are worth seeing will filter their way to Twitter. Uh, I'm appreciative. I'm happy for them. Uh, the Pro Bowl was always the the toughest. I think All Star game just because. Football is so physical at its core and like it's really hard to replicate when everyone's like, I really don't want to get hurt. So I'm glad <laughs> they moved to the flag football format, but it just hasn't worked. So I, I appreciate that they at least recognize like, hey, it, it doesn't really work. So let's find a way to just get the personalities together. But not not that there's a great all-star game like the NBA all-star game's bad. I don't really care to watch that one either. Uh, Major League Baseball probably the best one just because it's it's so like pitcher knows he's going for one inning against great hitters stuff like that still not perfect but uh yeah i i don't really consume the closest i get is i'll watch the home run derby and i'll watch all-star saturday night of uh three-point contest dunk contest skills challenge for the nba uh football is obviously my favorite sport and it's the pro bowl that i'll take in the least of unless dodgeball rolls around at which point again clip it on twitter i'll see the good stuff yeah that could be fun um the question becomes, uh, did Adrian Peterson ruin the Pro Bowl? <laughs> That's a legit question because at some point, growing up in the 70s and the 80s, right, being those are my formative years, 
I used to watch the Pro Bowl like, I can't believe there's all these amazing players playing in the same damn game. This is incredible. And they used to knock the crap out of each other. It was a, it was a real game. They tried their best. They was the bloody, bloody noses and busted knees, and nobody wants injuries, but I'm just saying. Then they started slacking off in like the 90s, like, this isn't really a game, guys. We can, we can, we can go easy here. And they started doing that, and the scores started getting crazy. And then Adrian made the uh, Pro Bowl for the first time. And he goes out there and he's just destroying people. Like, I get to play another football game? This is awesome. Come here, let me run into you. Knocking dudes on their butts, destroying defenses. And uh, they were like, okay, we need to reevaluate this Pro Bowl because <laughs> no Charlie Hustle here, run, diving into Ray Fossey at home plate. We can't have this. That's basically what happened. A little bit. Yeah, it's uh, just... It's just tough. It's tough. Once you get into the mindset, it's like bowl games, right? Like once you've gotten into the mind, into the subconscious of these now businesses, which I totally get from the athlete's perspective. If I were in the same spot, I'd be like, risk a non-contact knee injury that could cost me the actual what I train for all year long or slack off in one exhibition game that not everyone watches the cause and effect. I totally get it. But once it creeps in, it takes over the entire sport. And I think you see that with bowl games, see that with the Pro Bowl, see that with the All-Star game of no one really giving a rip about defense in the NBA. So, you know what I mean? Like, it's just one of those things where it's yeah. just like, once that thought creeps in, it's just done. McCaffrey ruined bowl games, fair, unfair. Adrian mm-hmm. ruined the Pro Bowl, fair, unfair. You know what I mean? Uh, the Pro Bowl to me is like, for me, it's like getting up off the couch. I could go full speed if I wanted to. I really could. <laughs> I just I, – I don't want to get hurt. I don't want to throw anything out. I don't want to pull back muscles. So I get up off the couch and I'm, I do it real slow, real yeah. easy. So it's like the Pro Bowl. We basically go through what the Pro Bowlers go through every single day. That's what you're, we've got there that we, Joe Public, are basically the same as J.J. Uh, yeah. Watt and the greats <laughs> of, of yesteryear. C.D. Lamb. Ah, same dude. We're, we're the exact yeah. same guy. I know people uh, in Dallas. We, by the way, speaking of CD, who wears number eighty-eight, uh, I'm tying this together weekly here from our previous segment on the Shrine Bowl. Guess who's wearing number eighty-eight at the Shrine Bowl this week? Drake Stoops. It's fun out there running those routes, and he is destroying um, DBs. He's not like hurting them or anything. He's embarrassing them, giving them little head fakes, little jukes, running routes, getting himself wide open. He's having a hell of a week, Drake Stoops is, at the uh, at the Shrine Bowl. Down in Frisco. Yeah, he's having a good week. Sounds like Walter Rouse having a really good week. Sounds like Tyler Guyton having a really good week. Andrew Rain was holding the zone. So a, a good class of, uh, of Sooners. And for Drake, it's almost in a weird spot. If you always want to be drafted for the, hey, you got drafted. But for him, like the measurables are going to be the thing. If I'm Drake Stoops, like Austin Reeves in the NBA, I'd almost rather mm-hmm. say no one draft me and let me pick my exact spot yeah. of a coaching staff that has shown interest in what you bring to the table, which is a worker, a dog, and a technician, like that kind of thing. It might, like, OU fans don't get up in arms if he doesn't get drafted because it might actually work out better for him to be able to pick right. the right spot. And you know everything he knows about football, everything his family knows about football he will pick a good spot, a good fit for him uh, if that's an opportunity that that pops up after the draft if he doesn't end up being drafted. The thing about Drake is he's super smart when it comes to football. Why do you think that is, right? I mean, he's around the game. It's in his blood. Uh, his dad 
uncles, grandfather, everybody coached in the Stoops family. He doesn't know anything else, right? He's not interested in other stuff. And if, and if you look at some of the comments that's coming out of uh, the Shrine Bowl, I just want to play as long as I can. Uh, I love this game. I want to give everything I can to this game, stuff like that. You put those two qualities together where football is everything and then you know everything about football, good luck keeping him out of the NFL. Seriously. I don't care what his 40 time is. Uh, he's going to get himself open on those under routes and uh, he, he's going to make himself some money in the NFL. He just is. I'm convinced of that to, now. You ready for me to irresponsibly call my shot? Call it. Undrafted free agent Drake Stoop signs with the Raiders. Detroit Football Lions. Oh, okay. Okay. Do they, do they run that kind of offense that can really value somebody like that? I just you, – you're telling me Dan Campbell's going to let that guy slip through his fingertips? That, that, you point. know what I mean? That kind of yeah. that kind of guy, it, it, it feels like everything that uh, – that, that the ethos of what like that football team is in the NFL. Because I – I would not classify many NFL teams, many pro teams in general, as like a true blue-collar football team or a true blue-collar, like outside of hockey, like how many real actual blue-collar teams do you get? Detroit's one of them. Yeah. No, he'd, he'd be a good fit there. Um, the, the thing of this, and we'll move on after this, The uh, there's enough coaches and enough GMs and enough scouts in the NFL right now who really, really like everything Bob Stoops stands for, right? And that, not that, you know, they're getting an unfair, like, uh, oh, it's his kid, let's let him, let's, no, that's not how the NFL works. They're going to look at it and they're going to say, hey, dummy, we got this guy or we got Stoops' kid. Which one do you think is going to bring her longer-term value, right? And, and I'm not saying that's good or bad or whatever. That's just the way it is. Bob Stoops was such a great coach for such a long time. Still is right for the uh, for the new UFL um, coming off a championship with the Renegades. There, he's a guy that carries so much respect at the next level. So many people have worked with or drafted his players or worked with his coaches that you get a chance to take his son. I, I think there's going to be enough people that are like. Come on, it's the sixth round. What are we? What are we looking at here? It's the fifth round. What are, What are we waiting for? Let's Let's draft this kid and see what he can do for us. Uh, because there's There's no downside to Drake Stoops. That's the thing. There's no risk. You know what you're getting, and everything from there is up upside. So just a thought. Yeah, I I my little the only worry that would keep him out of something like that is if you have like too many analytics. We're gonna try and take the shot on. You know what I mean? Because it's just some some front offices are super like okay what what's his split coming out of this and that or whatever versus hey let's take ten seconds just recognize that like we need football players and would you rather take uh -huh. a swing in the sixth round on an uber athlete who you're not sure even likes the game of football or can play the yeah. game of football but can or jump really high yeah, yeah. Or, right. do, or do you want Drake Stoops it it's something that every front office will let yeah and I know it's more I'm and more I, I agree with you and you see more and more players of that mold who uh, fit who fit that role. There's a role for them, and they're very good at it. Um, and there's there's more and more guys like that in the NFL than there used to be. So, yeah, I'm predicting uh, – I'm sitting here on January 31st, 2024, predicting that Drake Stoops has a nice NFL career. Easy as that. You want to talk some basketball? Let's do it. A weird game. <laughs> yeah. Sooners were uh, – let's 
start at the top, 16 and five. Now they're ranked number 23 this week, four and four in big 12 play going in, going into last night. Right. Yeah. They were four and four. Got back uh, to four and four with the win last night. Got back to four and four. Thank you. Lost uh, two straight at home last week. Lost two straight conference games at home last week. But then last night they go on the road, and I'm thinking, well, this team's done. This team's, you know, vapor trail, right? They're getting ready to hit the ground. They go on the road and stomped a mud hole in Kansas State last night. Yeah, it, it was bizarre in many ways. Uh, coming off that Texas Tech loss, the Red Raiders shot – 72% from the floor in the second half. That's a real number, 72% from the yeah. floor. And Oklahoma missed nine free throws. And so that was kind of two of the talking points Porter Moser had is everything matters, but also it's got to start with the stops defensively. So Oklahoma did not fix the free throw issue at all. We'll talk about that in a second. But they came out, they set the tone, really, really strong defensive start, hold K-State scoreless for the first eight minutes of the game. From there, I think that K-State started to get into some really bad shot selection. I think Oklahoma's defense was as crisp in the second half, but K-State helped them out by just being awful from deep and just trying to get 10-point shots, the stuff that coaches talk about. And then you saw those defensive stops. What did it lead to, boss? You can finally get Jalen Moore out in transition to run for the whole game, and he he logs yeah. a career high. Javen McCollum gets to get downhill on a defense that's not set, and suddenly after going a combined 5 of 22 from the floor, against Texas and Texas Tech. He hits six field goals, gets to the free throw line. And, and the real crucial stretch for me, Hoove, is K-State cuts it all the way back to seven with eight and a half minutes left in the game. Yeah. And then Oklahoma, the next two trips, they have three combined offensive rebounds. That leads to two buckets, including a couple of stops. The Nuzon gets the long rebound, delivers just a peach of a, of a lob to Jalen Moore. And suddenly Kansas State looks up, it's double digits again, and, and the game was over from there. And so huge, huge, huge response for Oklahoma defensively. Missed 15 free throws. Have to fix that. Most of that, though, was Sam Godwin and Otega Owe. Like, if you go and sift through it, everyone else missed one, right? But those two guys, uh, and, and I wonder how much it looked like Sam Godwin was in his head at the free throw line. Like, he did not no. look comfortable at the free throw line. I wonder how much of that was. Uh, they get one more game of grace for me because they'd been a, a top 30 free throw shooting team in the country before these two games. Now they're 75th. That's how bad it's been uh, the last two games. So if if it's understandable, if you lose a one-point game and you miss nine free throws, if maybe you're in your head a little bit the line the next game out, if they're able to settle and be normal again, I won't worry about it against UCF on the weekend. If they're bad again, it, it becomes a major storyline of you're not good enough to be bad at the free throw line and, and live in Big 12. Yeah, it was a huge game from Jalen Moore, 23-9, and nine, shot 8 of 11 from the field. And McCollum, like you mentioned, bounce-back game, 6 of 13 from the field, 21 points after a couple of tough ones. Uh, Milo Suzan, tw uh, just two points, which is a little concerning, but he had six assists, including that long one that you mentioned, uh, a couple of steals. So some productive productivity in there for sure. Uh, guys were productive in moments. The, the, the free throw thing is concerning, but they cranked up the defense like – Porter implored at the uh, press availability. We don't know what he said in practice. We don't know what he said in meetings. But at the press availability, he said, our defense has got to be better. And it was better. K-State had 19 points at half, only shot 23%. Their first field goal came at, what, like nine and a half minutes into the game? Um, yeah. Shot 14% from three, just two of 14. They come out in the second half and go two of 14 again from three. Uh, that was impressive defense by Oklahoma, which offset – 
the fact that they were started out one of seven from the free throw line. Just it, it was it was wild when you looked at it. You're just like, is this happening again? Like they they yeah. had to Porter to be on the sideline looking up at halftime, going. He was up 39 to what it was, or sorry, 35 to 19. He had to go like, man, with all the free throws, they should have been up 20. And so it could have been a 30 point. This was their biggest road victory in conference play since 2015 when they dropped 21 on Texas. And so it was so weird that you came out of a game. Oklahoma just doesn't go to Bramlage and win, right? Uh, Lon won his first year and then didn't win in Bramlage again. Porter won his first year two years ago, lost last year. So to win by 20 in, in that, it is just uncommon for Oklahoma basketball. And to still have – it shows you how weird the game was that we're kind of like, it was a good performance, a great win, but like weird, weird. So uh, a very, very gettable one this weekend. This UCF game becomes huge. There are not many like really like – is the life on the road's tough anyway, but like games that Oklahoma really needs to win if they want to like hold on to not getting shifted down to a 7 through 12 seed in March is like – they're going to have to win in Galagriba, and they really need to win this UCF game. It's one of the more get-a-bowl, get-a-bowl uh, road games in, in the Big 12. Uh, the game itself took forever. I don't know if you felt that while it was happening. It was like 11 minutes left, and it was like uh, – it was 8.51, 7.51. It was like nine – you know, usually games take right at, right at two hours. At nine minutes to go until two hours, there were still 11 minutes to play. I was like, What? It was miserable. 48 combined fouls, 74 free throws. Thank you, Big 12 refs, for that. Um, you said it was rare that Oklahoma wins big at wins at Bramlage and wins big at Bramlage. Here is the list of games that Oklahoma has won by 20 points or more at Bramlage. 73-53 last night. 117-76 in 1992, Billy Tubbs era. And fifty to thirty in nineteen forty-seven. Those are the only times that OU has beaten K-State in Bramlage by twenty or more. Holy crap! And Ryan, speaking of mud holes, uh, it occurred to me last night while I was watching the game, and the announcers, uh, Mark Neely and those guys, were talking about uh, OU's final trip to Bramlage. It occurred to me that I've never been at a game in Bramlage, but I've fallen down a hill while pulling a wagon in the mud outside of Bramlage. So it's kind of the, kind of a push. Yeah, I, I I think that uh, the media seating didn't look bad from TV, but uh, nothing could be worse than uh, having to change your pants in the parking lot at Bill Snyder Family <laughs> Complex, whatever, because the Bramlage Hill. Uh, you found out the the Doom part of the Octagon of Doom uh, a couple years ago. My hand still hurts, by the way. <laughs> you, like, don't, uh, don't we still have dirt on the wagon from yeah, Manhattan? Kansas? Yeah, there's still there's still dirt on the wagon, mud. Caked into certain spots on the wagon. Was two years later, <laughs> three years. That that was uh, that was our later. first year together. Yeah, not gonna clean it. Not gonna do it. <laughs> uh, women's basketball, real quick. Uh, one in Austin last week. They're in Norman tonight. Probably gonna be a little harder tonight, I would think. OU's thirteen to six overall. They're seven and one in Big Twelve play. They just keep winning. Kansas State tonight. Number two in the country. They're 20 and one overall. I said 20 wins and one loss overall. They're 9 and 0 in Big 12 play tonight. 6 p.m. You can find that game on, uh, I think, ESPN Plus. I yeah. can't remember what network. But hey, OU's got Skylar Van. She's got a streak of 20 point games, and she's the reigning Big 12 player of the week. Ryan, any chance that uh, Jenny Baranchik and those guys pull off the upset tonight? 
Lee's not playing, probably. So big yeah. chance. That that's the good news for Oklahoma. The bad news is that Kansas State has been able to win without her anyway. Uh, Oklahoma's only loss in Big 12 play came at the hands of these Wildcats in Manhattan. Uh, the Sooners scrapped out an ugly one against Kansas, which on one hand, you just needed to win. Like, you got all that momentum from the Texas game, and then it's a huge week. It's it's not just K-State tonight, but Oklahoma State and Stillwater on the weekend. So, like, I, I you're understandable to, to let that be a big letdown slash look-ahead spot, that KU game in between Texas and K-State. But you can't play like that, and Oklahoma's going to have to rebound. That's kind of been an issue a little bit. Uh, Texas got back into that game in the fourth quarter a lot due to rebounding, stuff like that. And the Sooners are going to have to outshoot K-State from deep. Now, that's a lot of how Oklahoma rolls, but if they can get heated up from deep, they've got a chance. But as good as Van has been, I think that Peyton Verholz has to be a huge factor in the scoring department, not just everything else she does, but – I think it's got to be Van and Verholz with some Lexi Keys three sprinkled in there. That that's your path to victory for Oklahoma tonight. I I would not. We'll see. They they've been really good in Big Twelve play outside of their one trip to Manhattan. Uh, K State just seems to be a pretty bad matchup for Virginia Bronchek's crew. Even without mm. Lee last year, it was a, it was tough sled. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Uh, ESPN Plus. In case I said that wrong. Um. How about softball? Let's close the segment with softball. Uh, first of all, the softball show 2.0, episode two, is going to be next week. Um, but then after that, you're going to have it two times a week. Uh, I'm looking, You can find that, of course, here on the website, allsooners.com, and on my YouTube channel, John Hoover Media. But um, tell us about what's going on softball lately. There's been I guess that with what's is there five softball polls and OU is ranked number one in all five of them. Yeah, the, it, it's a weird of which ones do you look at, which ones do you don't. In baseball, I, I think that like the softball America or sorry, the baseball America D one baseball is looked at a little bit more. Um, frankly, just candidly, the only time I look at uh, the softball America or D one softball polls in the preseason. Cause from there, I all, everything for us leads to the USA today, NFCA that that's the national fast pitch coach association. So that's the coaches poll USA today coaches poll. Cause yep. then you have the ESPN.com slash USA softball poll. That's the other one that's kind of recognized. Um, and then Oklahoma finished preseason number one in the big 12 standing. So that's kind of your, your five polls for the top 25, one of the one of them then being your Big Twelve standings, and then they, they've got it. It's watch list season. Softball America's shooting watch lists all over the place for all that stuff. But you look at the preseason All Americans, and I mean, you have what nine players in softball that start. Oklahoma had six preseason All Americans, first team and second team combined at Softball America uh, for. Instance that is more than the entire ACC, more than the entire Big Ten. <laughs> Oklahoma finished with more selections than <clears throat> entire conferences, and then yeah, they finished as the unanimous number one or started as the unanimous number one in the NFCA poll yesterday. So it, everything's hurtling toward getting this group ready to rock and roll uh, at the Port of Vallarta Collegiate Classic. We'll, we could preview that next week as, as we'll get to talk to we think. Fingers crossed. It sounds like Monday, hopefully, is when we'll get to link up with Coach Gasso and some players for some of the preseason stuff as that goes. But I'm interested just to see where the mindset is. Were they able to kind of decompress at all? Because last year's team, John, it felt like they were under so much pressure that I'm not sure how much joy 
Like I, it looked like Patty Gasso got the least amount of joy out of winning a national championship as like anyone that you've yeah. ever seen win a national, just as like a sigh of relief. It's done with the streak and trying to go back to back to back and all that stuff. And they're still on a streak and yes, they're trying to go four, but it just feels like the, the pressure of like the winning streak and winning four is lessened in a way. It, it's almost more about back to internally of like, Hey, can Tiare Jennings and Jada Coleman and Nicole May and Kinsey Hansen can they go four for four with national championships, which is more of an internal pressure, I think, than kind of like the external stuff. I'm really fascinated to see what that looks like. And then uh, how, how has Kelly Maxwell got rolled in? What, what, what improvements have they made since fall ball as they head to Mexico here eight days from now? The uh, big news on softball this week is simply this, that uh, five games have been picked up for national television broadcasts. So that's good. Um, let's see. The first game of the series from Love's Field you wrote today will be broadcast on... Of the Bedlam series. All three games of the Bedlam series. Oh, Bedlam, all three games of the Bedlam series. That's what all, I was looking for. Yes. All three games of the Bedlam series from Love's Field and then two of the three games against Texas. That's... Uh, Four of those are on the ESPN family networks between ESPN, U, ESPN, all that stuff. And then the first Bedlam game is going to be on FS1. So interested to see Fox Sports getting into the live softball game. That That's something that we yeah. haven't seen a ton of. There's been a lot of the ESPN Plus. There's been a lot of the does it get brought up to ESPN proper, ESPN U, obviously the ABC experience. We hadn't seen Fox Sports kind of get in the mix and be like, hey, 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 clear out. We want some softball too. They want to bid. Is it simple as that? They just bid on a softball game broadcasting. I'm not sure. We know with like football, obviously that they chop up, you know, the big time yeah. games, stuff like that. I have to imagine with the joint ESPN and Fox deal uh, that Fox came in and was like, "What's the what's going to be the cost to buy a softball game off you guys and roll that on FS1?" Because you don't see that very often with uh, Big Twelve basketball. Like you get the occasional like. Big Saturday, 11 a.m. CBS tip-off for Kansas occasionally when CBS comes into basketball season. But for the most part, that's all ESPN. Good stuff, Ryan. I was sitting here looking at Randall's name when I said that. Good stuff, Ryan. Let's uh, let's move on to segment three coming up next with uh, Randall. Man, appreciate it, as always, for joining on, joining, jumping on and joining the show. Looking forward to the junior day stuff. We'll see it. Yeah, I say joining the show. You're actually basically driving this thing so uh, no i appreciate you man uh coming up next randall sweet uh we're gonna recap the junior day we're gonna there's still offers going out lots and lots plus the portal a little bit of portal action uh we'll tell you all about it next on the all sooners podcast hey are you a business owner looking to get your product out there to the masses Let's say you run a hotel in Norman or a car dealership in Oklahoma City or a restaurant in Edmond. Or maybe you're a small online business who creates and sells OU merchandise and you just want Sooner Nation to come sample your wares. Well, then consider advertising in this space right here on the SI Sooners podcast. SI Sooners reaches thousands of readers, viewers, and listeners literally every day. And the SI Sooners podcast is the ideal place to find your next customer. To advertise, send an email to allsoonerssi at gmail.com or DM us on Twitter at all underscore Sooners. All right, final segment of the All Sooners podcast. Share us on social media. I know what I said earlier about Twitter. Don't worry about it. Just share us on social media if you can. It's really helpful. Um, if you're on the YouTube, like, subscribe, leave us a comment there. We get a lot of comments on the YouTube channel, so 
If you're watching, uh, go ahead and leave a comment there. And don't forget to subscribe. Mash that subscribe button. And if you like the podcast, go ahead and like the podcast. Wherever, Whatever your podcast uh, platform you're on, go ahead and like it because that helps. It helps us. And if you want to advertise with All Sooners, the All Sooners podcast, simple as this. Drop me an email at allsoonerssi at gmail.com. Allsoonerssi at gmail.com. We've got some uh, prospects coming up, so uh, be sure, or you can DM me on Twitter at Johnny Hoover, but be sure and jump in line now because it's going to be a busy offseason. The numbers are crazy for softball. The numbers get really crazy for football, so uh, you want to get in line now. Trust me. Um, Randall joins us for segment three, as always. Uh, We're going to talk about recruiting. We're going to talk about junior day. We're going to talk about some visits coming up, some offers. Randall, uh, let me start out, put it this way. Owen Hollenbeck, you just reminded me, was the last commit to Oklahoma. It's been two months. That was early December. It's been two months. Um, is that bad? And Number one, is that bad that there's a big gap like that, two months without a commit? And could that be changing very soon? Yeah, I think, you know, to, to start to answer that question, I would say, think about where OU was in the 2024 class at this time last year. Um, you know, we were kind of talking about that before the pod. They they were nowhere close to um, as far along in the 2024 class as they are right now in the 2025 class. Um, you know, we talked about it, I think, last week, maybe a few weeks ago, nine commitments already, which, again, um, is when you have to think you used to only be able to take 25 in one class, right? I mean, obviously now the rules are different. You can take really as many as you want, but um, you know, to have nine already, just that's a really good um, start, especially when you've got almost a full year to go really um, before the 2025 class is is done and signed and on campus. So um, the Sooners obviously still have plenty of work to do in that class. They're still gunning for some, some top, top uh, tier guys there. But I think that what you've seen early on is them close out on a lot of the uh, talented players that they that, that have garnered interest from OU in the region. And I think that that's why maybe you haven't seen um, a commitment in uh, at, in that, that stretch because, uh, you know, a lot of the, the players that they're going for now are the, the guys that are more national that they, they have to uh, battle with a lot of these top programs for. But like you alluded to, I do think that uh, that, that can be changing soon. Um, you know, it seems like coming out of this junior day that, that you mentioned that, oh, you got at least one, maybe a few more uh, commitments that just are not public yet. And um, of course, that's burned OU in the past. But it seems like uh, this time around, at least one of those uh, will probably come to uh, come to fruition pretty soon. Yeah. Remember, Brent Venable's policy is don't commit. He held his hands up and pumped the brakes. Don't commit unless you're sure. If you're sure then you're not visiting anywhere else. So guys are probably like looking around coming out of the big junior day, right? And they're probably looking around going, golly, I want to go here, but I also need to take a couple other visits. So there are people who I think want to commit, who would Mm -hmm. like to commit. If that don't visit policy was, uh, don't visit anywhere else policy wasn't in place, maybe they would commit. Uh, but, But you're right. This time last year, zero commits. Um, now there's nine for, for next year's class. So they're way, way, way ahead. Um, and, and not just that, but they've got their full-time receivers coach hired, you know, he's had a a look, a lay of the, the lay of the land the entire time. Um, the, the staff is comfortable. They got a new offensive coordinator who's been around, been around the, the region. 
been around the area. He's he knows what's going on. Uh, the staff is much more um, set, I guess, going into year three under Brent Venables than they were in year two. There was a little remember there was a little bit of a little bit of turmoil. Not not much, but just enough. They've got a new defensive coordinator, obviously, um, which is huge yeah. going into year three. So. I think uh, I think everything's fine. They've got nine commits and probably going to get a couple more, at least one more, um, off of this junior day. How big was this junior day? That, that makes this pretty big for the week, uh, last weekend, pretty big for the upcoming class. Yeah, and, and so you know, you mentioned that you know that there is that that commitment that we um, have heard about coming out of junior day. It seems like Oklahoma is probably going to add a pretty talented playmaker to their skill position group in twenty twenty five, which. Uh, you know, with Kevin Sperry, with uh, Trinae Washington, with those three receivers, Jaden Nickens, Grayson Harris, and Elijah Thomas, uh, was already a pretty impressive group. Um, you know, you add, you know, you add another talented guy to that mix, and that's that's uh, you're cooking with grease right there. Um, and, but I think you know this junior day, you saw um, a lot of that new staff kind of get to you know I say new staff. Really, it seems like there's only one new guy, uh, you know, being Zach Alley. But you got to see him. Um, and you get to see, you know, guys like Seth Luttrell and like Joe John Finley operate in their new positions. And, you know, Zach Alley specifically seeing him taking pictures, you know, in the stance with some of the linebacker commits and things like that. It it seems like um, those guys are getting along well. Um, you know, uh, the commitment that, that OU got wasn't the only good news to come out of this. Um, five-star wide receiver Caleb Cunningham, I think the day or maybe two days after um, – he visited OU for junior day. Uh, he actually released his top 12 schools, and OU was, of course, in that mix. Uh, he posted a picture with Coach Emmett Jones. So I think that um, OU is in a really good position right there. Again, that's a five-star wide receiver, top three wide receiver, top 15 player, um, depending on where you look, in the 2025 class. So that's a guy that would – I mean, I just mentioned that talented skill position group. That is a guy that would completely change that mix. I mean, he would elevate it to a whole other level. Um, and I think that uh, – that, you know, obviously OU's been able to get some talented players, some good receivers and stuff, but you haven't really seen that big five-star top five receiver uh, come mm-hmm. to OU in a while. And, you know, since um, since a guy like a Jaden Hazelwood, Theo Weiss, you know, that that class, I, I don't think that OU's landed any of those nation-leading wide receivers since then. I mean, Zion Kearney, of course, a very high recruit, but um, he, he would be a game-changer, especially um, with a guy like Kevin Sperry already on board in that class. So that, that one's really interesting there. Um of course, Jonah Williams from Galveston Ball High School was on campus. Uh, it seemed like he had a good time. He posted some photos himself. Uh, and that's that's a guy that OU uh, really, really um, is high on on the recruiting trail. Again, another five-star prospect. Uh, we kind of talked about it before the pod. Good athlete, uh, kind of linebacker safety hybrid, which, of course, in Oklahoma fans' mind, that the light goes off of playing the cheetah position, which he's probably got the athleticism to do that, to play safety. Six-foot-three, 200-pound guy. Um, of course, Five-star recruit, a guy that that plays that style. Coaches all over the country are going to be after him. That's a that's a battle that OU is going to be hard pressed to win. But they're in a good position. Getting him on campus for Junior Day was good. He wore OU gloves at the end of the season. Uh, so again, we've talked about it before. That doesn't necessarily mean anything, but it's not a bad sign at all. Especially, uh, obviously, him being uh, in Norman on Saturday shows that that continued interest is there. So Jonah Williams is definitely a name to watch out for coming out of this weekend. Another one, I've, I feel like I've mentioned him on most of our podcasts now as we get into this 2025 uh, recruiting is Max Granville, um, about 6'3", 220-pound edge rusher out of the Houston area, Fort Bend Christian Academy. Uh, top 80 player, top 10 edge rusher, depending on where you look. But 
a really, really high recruit, Bama, Georgia, all the top programs are after him. Um, but it seems like he's got a really good connection with the staff at Oklahoma. Uh, he's visited Norman before. He was back this weekend. Um, and so it seems like seems like OU is doing a really good job there. Um, they, I know that they've been out to Fort Bend Christian Academy to visit him um, at his school to see him. So uh, I think that they're really, it, it obviously shows that they're really, really trying hard with Max Granville. I think that that's a guy that um, you can see by OU's efforts with him coming to campus, them going to visit him in that short period of time, that obviously he's a priority for them in this class. Um, and he kind of fits the style of edge rusher that they've recruited recently. You know, that guy who's um, not as big, but really quick off the edge, kind of like an R. Mason Thomas coming out of high school, uh, same same uh, body style. Um, and, then, and then another guy that seems like, oh, you did really well with this weekend is four-star defensive lineman Landon Rink. He's actually from the Houston area himself, uh, from Cy Fair, Cypress, Texas. Um, and again, another guy that OU was out to visit and then they had him up on campus on Saturday. So I think again, that that shows, um, that they're, they're very interested that this is a guy that OU really wants to get on campus. Uh, he's more of an interior player, about six to 270 pounds right now as a junior in high school. So pretty good size. Um, but again, uh, a guy that OU was able to get on the campus. Uh, it seems like with him, it's going to be a battle between OU and Texas, which is, which is interesting. But, um, I think that again, uh, there's mutual interest there. OU is really pushing hard. I think they're in a good spot there uh, with Landon Rink. Obviously, a few other. There's plenty of other guys that were there. Omarion Robinson is one uh, from Parkway uh, in Little Rock, Arkansas. That's really interesting to me. Uh, four-star safety kind of fits what Brandon Hall uh, seems to like. He's going to be at Oregon this weekend, so another guy that OU's going to have to battle with. You know, we've seen Dan Lanning and company. They recruit those defensive backs, defensive players in general, really well. Um, but you know, him being so close in Little Rock, Arkansas, it seems like OU's in a good spot there. I mean, really, uh, getting a lot of those commitments on campus this weekend, uh, like the Elijah Thomases, Owen Hollenbeck's, Kamori Moore's, of course, that's always good to, to, you know, kind of keep recruiting those guys and make sure you maintain those relationships. Uh, getting the Carl Albert guys on campus was good because again, Tristan Haynes was there. That's a guy that I've said it before. OU really, really wants him in their 2025 class. Um, six foot two, long arms, really fast. So, I mean, kind of what everyone wants is at the corner position right now, right? Guys who are tall, guys who are long, really fast. I mean, that's kind of the stereotypical corner that you want heading into the SEC. And so, um, as you know, a guy from Oklahoma City, that's someone that OU is pushing really, really hard for. Uh, he was at Missouri the weekend before. So, again, we've seen what this recruiting battle between Oklahoma and Missouri looks like. But I think at this time, OU may have, um, you know, a little bit of an upper hand not recruiting a kid out of Missouri against the Tigers. And also, you know, having three or four teammates already on, um, you know, Tristan Haynes' team that are committed to OU, you know, to kind of be in his ear and say, hey, look, you know, look look what, what they're building in Norman. You know, we're all going to be there, that type of thing. Um, but I think that uh, I think that OU continues to make a good impression on him. Uh, it's Battle's not over yet, again, for Tristan Haynes. But I, again, I think that that's another guy that they're in a good position with and an even better position with coming off of this Junior Day weekend. Another corner, I, I'll be quick. I know I've been talking for a long time here. Uh, another corner that was on campus, Kobe Sellers, Shadow Creek in Houston. Seems like OU is doing really well with him too. Um, he is another guy that they visited and then had on campus from that Houston area. Uh, I know him and Landon Rink and Max Granville, the three Houston area guys, all have a good relationship. Uh, seems like all three of them had a good time in Norman. If OU could clean up with all three of those guys, that would be huge. Uh, you mentioned a lot of skill position guys there. What about the offensive line, such as Lamont Rogers? Yeah, yeah. So a guy. Um, sorry, I completely forgot about Lamont Rogers. A guy from hey, Little Beatenbow is going to get you and shake you by your lapels. <laughs> he's, he's, 
Yeah, sorry. All the Bill Biedenboe doubters are probably, uh, you know, they're probably happy I forgot the offensive line guys. But yeah, Lamont Rogers, a really, really talented guy, top 100 player, top 10 offensive lineman. I mean, uh, if you want to see how good of an athlete he is, go watch his basketball highlights. The guy's like 6'8", 305 pounds, and he's a pretty good basketball player too. So um, obviously that translates pretty well to those guys who can play tackle. The footwork, um, you know, needed to be a good basketball player translates really well to playing tackle. Uh, we've kind of seen that with Tyler Guyton, right? Similar similar build, bigger, taller guy who who was a basketball player. Uh, and Lamont Rogers, uh, he was on campus, I think, against TCU, so the last home game of the season. So that's good, that recency uh, you know, getting him on campus there, then having him on campus again in January. Uh, seems like that's a guy that OU's built a good relationship with. Again, out of that Dallas area, you know, Mesquite, uh, OU's always going to have, um, you know, success recruiting out of the DFW, just being so close down I-35. Um, and, and I think that, um, of course, and I, I've said this for multiple recruits already, it's going to be a battle. He's a really high recruit. There's tons of programs interested. But I think that right now, OU's in a really, really good spot with him because of, you know, the the relationship there with Bill Biedenboe, with the coaches, you know, um, him being so close and visiting multiple times. I think that that's, I, I think that that's going to continue. I think OU is going to keep trying to get him on campus. And um, until, in, until that commitment day, I think that that's a guy that OU is going to try really hard for because of the size, because of, you know, the talent there. And I think there's a mutual interest between him and Bill Biedenboe. A couple of local kids I want to ask you about CJ Nixon from Weatherford and uh, Nate Roberts from Washington. Nate Roberts, kind of went to junior day. Um, he did post some interesting picks that included some uh, horns down and some sooner um, uniform, sooner gear, stuff like that. But tell me about those two guys and kind of where OU stands with them. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, I sound like a broken record. Roberts is a guy that uh, still fierce, fierce competition. I don't think that, uh, I mean, I think that OU is, is, is in a really good spot. Again, I sound like a broken record. I've been saying that, but I don't think that, um, they're in the lead over some of these other schools. I think that it's more evenly matched in, in, on that front. Um, you know, he, he's been posting about Ohio State, about Penn State, about Oregon coming to visit. Um, I, I've talked to some sources that say that he and his family really enjoyed their time at Penn State. So I, I know that that um, might be a school that OU's got to battle. Of course, Penn State's put good tight ends in the NFL recently. You know, just think about Pat Fryermuth, things like that, these guys who are receiving threats. Um, and so, you know, some of that might be an appeal. Um, but I, I think that now that OU's got Jake Roberts, Nate's uh, older brother on campus, I think that's a huge, huge help. Um, you know, there, there are some reports that maybe the the Roberts family was frustrated with OU by Jake not getting um, any looks out of high school from the Sooners. And maybe this has mended some of that relationship. Um, again, uh, there's nothing certain there, but that, that you would think that him now being, you know, in an OU uniform um, kind of does mend any broken fences there. Uh, again, he, like you mentioned, he posted pictures sporting the SEC patch on the jersey, which that was that was uh, fun to see for the first time. Uh, he threw the horns down. The caption said, I think it said 405, home, something like that. Um, and again, being right down the road, uh, OU's done a, a really good job of you know keeping up with Nate Roberts. I was there at the state championship game uh, when it was really cold outside. And Joe John Finley, those guys, they were still there. They were still watching. Um, and, and so I think, and he, he even said that, that it meant a lot to him that they were there. I think that he would also admit that his brother being on campus now probably means a lot to him. Um, and so while that battle is not over yet, I think that OU is continuing to do the things to put themselves in, in the right position for um, Nate Roberts. And I think that really is just going to come down to 
you know, does he like OU more than Ohio State, more than Penn State, more than some of these other, uh, you know, really top top tier programs that are coming after him. And then CJ Nixon is, is interesting because this is a guy who, um, you know, we've, we've heard really likes basketball too. Uh, he's a really good athlete. I think he's like 6'6", 230. So big, big kid, uh, edge rusher that, you know, can can get even bigger. Um, again, top tier athletes, five-star recruit, depend, depending on what service you look at. From Weatherford, Oklahoma, a guy that we haven't really heard much about um, in connection with OU until recently. Uh, he was at Junior Day. I think that um, I think that OU is not going to let a guy that talented in their backyard just go so easily. I think that um, they're still going to do what they can. But but again, um, this is a guy who who really really likes basketball, and that there is going to always be that possibility that he does choose to go play basketball. I, I've talked to people from the Weatherford area that that talk about, you know, him being a good, a dual sport athlete, how good he is at both sports. And so I think that that aspect of his recruitment is interesting. It's something that's not really present uh, when you talk to most recruits. And so I think that the way OU navigates, that's going to be interesting. But I definitely think that, um, of course, him being from OU's backyard, you know, Weatherford, Oklahoma, uh, there's definitely a mutual interest there too. Um, him being on campus shows that uh, OU's not out of the fight. He was on campus this summer for, um, when Brent Venables hosted the elite camp, he didn't participate, but he was there visiting, got to, you know, see some of the other people around at camp, things like that. So uh, a guy that OU's, OU's still in on, um, and it'll be interesting to see how that one goes. So a uh, big week uh, last week, obviously junior day, um, OU's not done. They've been sending out offers. The coaching staff has been sending out offers after offers after offers all week. Um, and it's a big, uh, it's a big, I guess an unofficial recruiting, not a not a junior day or anything with a name that I know of, uh, but it's a, another big weekend for OU to host a bunch of these offers that they're throwing out. Tell me about some of those guys that jump out to you. Yeah, so so this this weekend is really interesting because two of the guys that I've seen that are going to be there are recent offers. Uh, one of them being Marcus Wimberly from Boxite. I hope I'm saying that right. Boxite, Arkansas. Um, so a smaller town, but he's a, he's a safety. He's about 6'1", 190 pounds. Um, and so so a good three-star athlete out of Arkansas, um, a guy that OU offered a week or two ago and already planning a visit to campus. So I think that, that that bodes really well for the Sooners and Brandon Hall, obviously starting building that relationship early. Um, again, being so close in Arkansas, uh, that's always going to lend itself well to OU, especially now that they're in the SEC. And you can say there's a good chance we'll be coming and playing in Arkansas a couple of years from now. So um, I think that OU is doing a good job there. Uh, we'll, we'll see where that goes. Of course, it's a, it's still early, uh, 2025 prospect, but a uh, good start there. And then the other, another guy that recently got offered that'll be on campus is Cooper Perry, uh, about a six foot three, six, two, six, three wide receiver from Arizona, four-star recruit. Another guy that, um, you know, I, I saw a report today that, that OU is coming in hot on his recruitment, that OU is a team to watch there. And so, uh, it'll be really interesting to see how that goes, especially because, you know, we mentioned OU's already got three wide receivers in this class. It seems like Caleb Cunningham, a five-star wideout's interested. It seems like there's still some interest from Andrew Marsh, a, a high four-star wideout from the Houston area. And so, um, you know, Cooper Perry is another guy that, that OU's uh, in the mix with. It seems like they're not done with just having three wide receivers. Uh, Perry's a very talented wide, uh, you know, big body kind of complete uh, route runner, can kind of do a little bit of everything uh, from Arizona. I think that uh, uh, Emmett Jones and company would love to have him in this class. Uh, and so, so again, another guy, it'll be really interesting to see where it goes. But uh, it seems like that's another battle between OU, Oregon, maybe even uh, USC. Um, and then an, another guy, another receiver that'll be on campus, Royal Capel 
in that 2025 class. Uh, he's more of your uh, speed type receiver that um, Emmett Jones and company like. He's about 5'10", 5'11". Picked up his offer at the Brent Venables camp this summer where I got to see him in person. And the the speed is elite. He runs by guys. He's from Cibolo Steel, which is a powerhouse out of the San Antonio area uh, in Texas high school football. OU um, actually has a commitment in the 2026 class from Cibolo Steel High School, Jonathan uh, Hatton Jr., who's a running back commit. So he's teammates with Royal Capel. That dynamic is really interesting. Uh, I know OU was there in Cibolo visiting those two. Now to have Capel on campus pretty soon after that, I think that that's interesting. Um, and I think that it'll be interesting to see where that goes because, like I just said, OU, they're not done with that wide receiver recruiting, even though they have three talented commitments in the class. Um, speaking of uh, Emma Jones, I don't know if you saw this, uh, but uh, the pro football focus uh, season grades that, uh, you know, after the national championship game, everybody, everybody's grades are complete. The top rated, top graded wide receiver by pro football focus in the country this year. We're not talking about volume snaps, but we're just talking about raw grades. You're not going to believe this if you don't already know. Brennan Thompson uh-huh. <laughs> posted the top grade of any wide receiver in the country this year, according to Pro Football Focus. His grade was 94.3. The next guy was Malik Neighbors from 90, from yeah. uh, LSU who posted a 92.9. Huh. So uh, yeah. Brennan Thompson got 11 targets. Malik Neighbors got 128. Uh, <laughs> Malik Washington from Virginia got 138. You see Luther Burden on there with 120 targets. But um, if you want volume, you got to go down to number 30 in the wide receiver standings, and it's Drake Stoops with an 81.5 tied for 29th overall grade, overall offensive grade. So uh, Emma Smith, not just a great recruiter, doing some coaching of those guys, getting some productivity out of them. Yeah, the, the young guys that you have that are coming back on the roster, you think about Nick Anderson, you think about you know Jaden Gibson, like you mentioned, Brennan Thompson, even a Jaquez Petaway who we didn't really see much of this year. Uh, it's an exciting group coming back. Yeah, it is. Um, okay, so final note for you. I got want to get your opinion on someone before, I, but I'll throw this note out. You told me about it last week, and I we, we discussed it, and I was like, what? But it apparently has official now and got approved today. Jaden Nickens, wide receiver in the 2025 class. Uh, the OSSAA voted. He's at Millwood, right? He's at Oklahoma City, Millwood. OSSA, OSSAA voted today four to one to approve his transfer to Oklahoma city Douglas, which raised our interest. You and me both like what? That's interesting. I don't, don't recall seeing that before, but uh, that's apparently official. He's going to transfer to Douglas and play his final year. Yeah. I I think that, um, you know, no, obviously Millwood made, made their way to the state title game. So they had a great year. Um, Their quarterback, CJ Turnbull just picked up his first division one offer. He's a sophomore. But if you watch Millwood this season, they didn't give Jaden Nickens much volume, which, again, they, they still made it to the state title game. So the, the team had success. But from his standpoint, I mean, he, he didn't get the ball very often. I mean, the games that I saw, I think I went to two regular season games and I saw two catches. Um, and when you have a player that's that talented who can do what he can do, that's you probably uh, you know want to get him the ball more or that's what he's thinking at least. And he probably wants – um, a place that'll ha- you know give him the opportunity to to get more touches. Of course, we don't know exactly what went into this, but um, you know just from an, from an outside perspective, it seems like you know maybe if you know that you'll have the opportunity to get more touches, get more volume at at another place, get more opportunity, then then you know it, it makes sense. Uh, and and again, Douglas is is a really good basketball school. We know that 
Uh, Jaden Nickens is a good basketball player, and so uh, they'll probably pick up right where they left off on the court. Uh, and so, so that might might be um, a contributing factor too. But I again, uh, it's helpful for us that he's still in Oklahoma City. We can still go watch him play. That's right. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll reach out at some point to Jaden and find out what his uh, what his thinking was on the transfer. But uh, I want to get your thoughts since you wrote the story. What's your thoughts on Garen Hatchett and his? Um, transfer to Oklahoma. Uh, he's a guy that we talked about in the first segment. Uh, is not having very much, a ton of experience at Washington, but uh, what Oklahoma needs right now is is experience and bodies. Yeah. I, again, he's a veteran player. So, you know, a guy who's played a lot of college football. I was talking to, um, you know, someone for the Bauer Sharp story that I wrote. And one of the things he pointed out was he's in his fourth year of college football, which is kind of the same with Garen Hatchett. He's, he's a veteran guy. He's played four or five years of college football. Heading into the SEC, you, just, you need guys like that on the offensive line, especially when you've got a, a really young group in general. Um, and even even if he doesn't end up starting, he's at least a veteran guy that's going to push the younger guys and make them earn their spot if they do end up, um, you know, starting over him. And so I think that again, having a you know a guy who's played enough, he's been through the strength and conditioning at a big time program. He uh, you know he's got that experience of on a successful team, so he kind of knows what it takes in, from that standpoint. You know, all those aspects. I think that that's really going to help and and again even if he's not the star guard that you know another player like maybe even a Caden Green would have been there he can definitely help the team it's def his addition to the roster definitely makes the team better in my opinion yeah I, I just don't see how you can look at it and think that adding him uh, makes the team worse by any means I think that that he's going to be a welcome addition the leadership the experience that's all you know especially with a young group of offensive linemen heading into the SEC you can't say enough about that yeah, you put you bring in a guy, a starter, a former starter, part-time starter, whatever it is, from a national championship participating in the squad. Yep. You're doing good. You upgraded the roster. Yep. We'll see how it pans out. Randall, thanks, man. Yeah, no problem. All right, thanks for listening to all of you all out there. We'll be back next week on the All Sooners podcast. You can get that podcast and all of our shows anywhere you listen to your podcast. If you have an Amazon-enabled device, just say Alexa, play the All Sooners podcast. It's also on our website, allsooners.com. Just click on the player and listen on your phone, your tablet, or your computer. And, of course, all our shows are posted over on my YouTube channel, John Hoover Media. For Ryan Chapman and Randall Sweet, I'm John Hoover. See you guys.